All right, we are going to continue our journey through the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, uh, let's, let's make our way there. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, all right? So go ahead and open there if you have your app or whatever. But um, man, this last week I was in a very different part of my Bible, but it, it was so speaking to me and I guess reinforcing some of the things we're going to encounter here in, in 2 Timothy, but it was way back in the book of, of Matthew. I was reading through Matthew, and there's this intriguing verse in Matthew 11 where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. And at one point, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, among those born of a woman, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. Okay, when Jesus Christ is saying, this dude is the greatest, of anybody that's been born, he's the greatest. Like That's not just hyperbole. He's not just using exaggeration. He's really commending John at the highest level, right? So I, I was re- kept reading, turned a couple more pages, and if, if you want to, you can keep a finger in 2 Timothy and go back to Matthew 14, because in Matthew 14, here's what happened. So again, just a couple pages further into the story, at that time it says, chapter 14, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. So he said, about Jesus. Here's what he says. Oh no, this is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He's been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. So hearing this miraculous, you know, the, the miracle worker Jesus going on, he starts thinking, oh no, John the Baptist is back from the dead. Well, wait, how did John the Baptist die? That's the story that is told now. Verse 3, Herod had arrested John, chained him, put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Okay, the whole clan of Herod, the whole family is so perverse, so pathetic. So at this point, this Herod has seen his brother's wife, decides he wants her, so gets rid of his wife, and with her full cooperation, takes on his brother's wife, who also happens to be his niece, the whole thing is just so gross and goes so many generations in this clan of Herod, okay? So, in verse 4, John had been telling him, it's not lawful for you to have her. So John has been pointing this out and saying, no, 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 that's sick. That's perverse. Now, John didn't just go around doing this to anybody. These guys claim to be followers of God. The Herod clan, they're Jewish. They claim to be followers of God and are just in this dark, sick place. And so John just is speaking truth. That's why he had him arrested, chained, put in prison. Okay, so verse 5. Though Herod wanted to kill John, he feared the crowd since they regarded John as a prophet. So when Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter, his wife's daughter, danced before them and pleased Herod. Knowing the backdrop of what I said about the perversion Connect the dots. Yes, this is his kind of niece slash stepdaughter pleasing Herod with her dancing. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Promptly, prompted by her mother, she answered, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Although the king regretted it, he commanded that it be granted because of his oaths and his guests. So he sent orders and had John beheaded in the prison. 
His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. So having just read what I did about the unbelievable character and virtue of John the Baptist, a couple pages later to see this is how he meets his end, I ended up writing in in my margin, if John meets his death in this way, we should not be surprised at whatever comes our way, right? Like if the greatest man on the planet suffers that kind of ignoble, gross, pathetic end to his mortal life, why should I ever think that I deserve something better than that, right? That's the greatest man, and he has received that kind of a treatment. Here's, here's the thing, guys. We're going to go to 2 Timothy now. Uh, now that I've blessed you with such a remarkable part of the Bible, right? Like, you could have gone the rest of your life and not read about that stuff, right? But here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible is going to give you this unvarnished, no soft shell, you know, soft cell kind of uh, uh, message, okay? Here's what you're going to read from the very beginning all the way to the end. Really bad stuff often happens to those who stick closest to Jesus. Really bad stuff is going to happen to those who actually are closest to Jesus. So that brings me to a disclaimer as we get into the text today for any of you guys who are just starting to get to know your Bible. And I talked to many of you and I've heard from several like, man, this is the first time I've actually really started to understand my Bible and I'm eager to start reading my Bible because you're helping me understand the Bible. Here's what I'm telling you. The Bible is very likely a completely different book than maybe you thought that it was when you started reading it. And I'm telling you, the message of the book is probably not what you imagined or really what you'd hoped it would be when you started reading your Bible. So when this happens, and it will, guys, so when, when the Bible begins to run counter to what you thought that God should be saying in the Bible, when, and that will happen. So when all of a sudden your thoughts about what should be true go counter to what you're reading in the Bible, you've got a really important decision to make. Will you allow your kind of make-believe idea of what you think God should be saying and what the Bible should be saying. Are you going to allow that to stand and therefore you're going to have to kind of manipulate, maneuver, or completely discard the Bible in order to hold your make-believe idea of what the way you think things ought to be? Or will you bow to the authority of God, bow to the authority of the Bible and exchange your make-believe ideas for the truth? that's actually coming to. Um, I, I just really want to invite you to continue to read your Bible and study your Bible because when you find those, those times, that intersection of like, wait, this is not the way I thought things were supposed to be. This is not my expectation. I just need you to know this. God is not just messing with you at that point. He's actually turning the world right side up. You and I are the ones that have turned things upside down. You, you and I are the ones that have made a make-believe world of the way things we think ought to be. And what I'm saying is, God is turning things right side up, and if we'll give him the opportunity, he's going to make everything actually make sense to us if we'll, if we'll follow him. Okay, so with that in mind, I want us to encounter what he's going to bring to us in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So look, look there with me, because this is no fluke. This is going to be right in line with what we've been reading about 
from Jesus and so forth. So verse 10, okay, 2 Timothy 3.10. But you, Timothy, you followed my teaching. Now, the reason he's making that contrast, but you, is because of, look at the verses just above that. Okay, I'm going to get back to our verses, but he's been talking about these false teachers like Janus and Jamboris, uh, uh, you know, a uh, reference to the Old Testament. Ryan took us there last week. They resisted Moses. They resisted truth. They're corrupt in mind. You know, they're worthless in regard to, to faith. So he says, no, 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 but you, verse 10, no, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that have come to me in Antioch. Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. I'm going to stop there. We're going, to, we're going to keep going here in a few moments, but I just want you to know this little reference that he makes to these cities. He goes, you watched me go to Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. He's actually describing what for Paul was his very first missionary journey. So the very first time that, that Paul, you know, having been an unbeliever raging against the church, he comes to Christ miraculously, and now after a few years, he's being sent out to take the gospel, kind of like these guys uh, up on the stage here just a little bit ago. Uh, they're being sent out to take the gospel to people who have not yet heard. Paul is being sent out in the, in the very first journey that he takes to go to get the gospel out, he just gets persecuted and, and they try to shut him down. So he mentions these three cities on that first journey. Antioch, huge response to the gospel when he got to Antioch. All these people coming to know Christ, but the religious leaders there start trying to crush him and, and they chase, they literally chase him out of town. Okay, so he goes to the next town, Iconium. Same thing happens. They try to crush him. They try to chase him out. And this time they're going to, they start picking up stones. They're going to, they're going to stone him. They're, they're going to throw rocks in order to kill him. So he goes to the next town, Lystra, the one mentioned there. When he gets to Lystra, same thing as Antioch and Iconium, except that this time the rocks actually land. They stone him they think he's dead. They're so incensed by him that at that point they don't stop. After seeing his lifeless body there, they drag him out of town and kind of throw him in a ditch thinking, finally, we got rid of this guy, except that he kind of comes back too, brushes the dust off and goes back into town to share the gospel more. But I just want you to know, like right out of the gates, this is Paul's experience of taking the gospel. The very first missionary journey, the very first time he goes out to represent Christ, this is the kind of treatment that he got. The reason that he was able to keep going and persevere is because he had listened, actually, to the words that had come to him from Jesus. And I've got them up on the screen for you because in John uh, chapter 15, Jesus actually has warned all of us about this very thing. He says, look, if the world hates you, Understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, yeah, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. He's saying, look, if, if they treat the head of the household like this, if they treat the guy, the forebearer of this in that way, 
what do you think they're going to do with those that are just tagging along behind, following behind, right? So there's been, again, unvarnished. God has never said anything less than what we should expect. So, so Paul is just saying, look, I, I got the message straight, and now I'm giving this to you, Timothy. You have been following me, right? That's what he says. He says, but, but you have followed my teaching, my conduct, all the He says, I'm following Jesus, and he showed me the way that this is going to go, and I'm following right on his heels. But I want you to look especially at the list of things that Timothy has been able to watch and see in Paul as he's encountered all these different things. He says, Timothy, you have literally been following me as you've seen my, my teaching, okay? So the first thing he talks about is teaching. Here's what he's saying. Timothy, it wasn't just that you recited back, hey, here's what Paul believes. No, what he's saying is you have followed it. You've absorbed it into your life. My teaching hasn't just remained mine. No, the teaching I was giving came from Jesus. So it went from Jesus into Paul, and now Paul has brought that deposit to Timothy. And he's saying, you believe this stuff. It's not just, oh, I know what Paul believes. You have believed it. You have internalized it. And that has led to, you've seen my conduct, my teaching, and my conduct. He, he's been watching Paul live this out, the integrity, the way that truth has transformed him. So it didn't matter where Paul went, Timothy was following him, whether that was preaching the gospel, encountering an enemy, or just eating a meal in between those episodes. He's watched the conduct that has matched the teaching that he's been following, and then my purpose, my ambitions, what I'm living for, for whom I am living. Like, You've watched me change everything about what I'm doing, my ambitions in life, my purpose in life because of Christ. He says, you've been watching my faith. In other words, it's not just that I give some kind of mental assent to the truths of who Jesus is. I trust God. I believe God. I pray to God. When you see faith like displayed, you see people who pray, who acknowledge God, who are grateful, who worship, who sing. You've watched my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience. Timothy, you've seen what happens when, when people start pushing me around, when, when people try to silence me. Paul has borne it. He has, he's become stronger, resilient, patient. In fact, Timothy, you've seen my love. Where normally uh, a person being pushed around would want to act out with revenge, you know, meeting fire with fire kind of a thing. No, instead he's replaced vengeance with forgiveness. Following the model of Jesus, right? Who Jesus, even when being persecuted, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Forgive them. Paul himself has been forgiving and continuing, like I say, gets stoned and goes back into that very city to continue to preach the gospel because he loves them with a Christ-centered love. Endurance, he says. You've watched my endurance. As morning comes and the trials are still there, so am I. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep standing the consequences of, of what I'm doing are not going to keep me from enduring and moving forward. And then along with persecution and suffering. Now, if, if you've got the CSB Bible like the one I'm reading from, that word, those words along with actually aren't in 
the Greek transcript of what Paul wrote. So I, I did something I rarely do in my Bible. I actually kind of crossed those words out. What the translators are trying to do is say, oh yeah, go ahead and add these to the list. They're trying to help us see the importance of the, these getting thrown to the list. But what I'm saying is there's this unbroken list of things. You watch my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions and sufferings. Like in the full package of what you've been watching me do is persecutions and sufferings. Like one of these things doesn't belong with the rest. Yeah, it seems like, wait a minute, if I've got all the above going for me, teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, love, shouldn't that exempt me from suffering? <laughs> shouldn't that kind of person be exempt, kind of be, you know, somehow insulated from suffering and persecution? No, what he's saying is, you've watched that whole list and right in that same list are the persecutions and the sufferings. So sometimes we think, wait, if I'm doing everything right, shouldn't I be rewarded with a happy life? A carefree life? A problem-free life? Well, maybe in the make-believe world that I've made up or the make-believe world that you've made up, but God is wanting to kind of dismiss that out of our minds. And really, No, no, actually that happy ever after kind of life you might find that in fairy tale books. That's not what I'm telling you about. I'm telling you, follow me, and you will end up with persecutions and suffering. So, I, guys, I have to ask you the question that I feel like God has been haunting me with in my life as I've been contemplating all this. If you've never experienced any kind of persecution, any kind of pushback, any kind of resistance in your faith as a, as a follower of Christ, could it be that it's because something in that list above the persecutions is broken or absent? You know what I'm saying? Like that's a, that's a, a package deal. So if you follow the teachings, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love of Jesus along with that is supposed to come some level of resistance, persecution, and suffering. So if the bottom half of that list is absent, we should be reflecting on what comes above it, and is there something broken in that chain of things that is actually keeping me actually never experiencing persecution or, or suffering? Are we really following Jesus? I mean, guys, what, what's that ver verse 12? Look at that. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It begs the question, right? If we've never even come close to that, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't want to put us on some kind of false guilt trip here. Um, because the world in which Paul and Timothy find themselves, uh, they are physically accosted because of their faith, right? As is true in many parts of the world right now for Christians, right? They are physically silenced and accosted and, and kept. So by God's grace, we do live in a place where we can build buildings like this, gather everybody in, advertise all over the place. Guys, for how many months did we do it right outside, right? And we blared that music and we, we let the whole world know we're worshiping Jesus and there was nobody there to quell us or stop us. So don't, don't feel 
any kind of false guilt because you haven't gotten beaten up because people haven't thrown rocks at you and thrown you in a ditch. I'm not trying to throw false guilt, but here is what I, I want to say. A, let's think about just any level of resistance that we've had <laughs> to the gospel. If we've never been offensive in any way, even if they didn't pick up rocks, we got to ask ourselves, are we really following Christ closely enough to sweep that into our experience? But also I want to say this, guys. Can we take a moment and thank God for the kind of world that we have been brought into where we can join together like this, where we can worship without fear of getting rocks thrown at us? And I, I'm starting to hear more and more Christians like, oh, you know what's going to happen? They're going to start rounding up Christians. That's what's going to happen in America. Where They're going to start persecuting us. I'm like, well, since that's been the experience of global Christianity throughout the whole world and up to this point, we might be just joining them at some point, but how about for this moment we say, wow, God, thank you for this unprecedented freedom that we've had, and man, let's be faithful with this window of time that we have to get the gospel out there, right? So even though maybe we don't encounter suffering the way that Paul and Timothy did, we do have a fair amount of people who are suffering right now. Just this last week, I've, I've talked to a handful of you guys who are really encountering some significant suffering. And I'm talking about you guys, some of the ones I'm, I'm referring to are standouts, like faithful people, some of the most faithful of our church family, encountering some really difficult times. And I just, one, want to acknowledge that that is part of the package deal of following Christ and will probably actually make you some of the greatest channels like conduit of faith and grace in Christ because of the way that you're going to encounter the sufferings. But I just want to not just blow by that idea. I just want to pray right now because maybe you, like me right now, I've, I've had those seasons. I'm not in one of those seasons right now, but I know that a lot of you are. And I just want us to join in prayer together right now for those who really are suffering. So let's, let's bow in prayer. And as you bow in prayer, if you are somebody that this morning, you're really suffering. You feel the pressure of whatever kind. Will you just kind of, in your seat, just kind of hold your hand out? You're, like just asking for your hand to be filled and the rest of us, we're going to pray for you right now. Because, Lord, suffering is part of not just our human experience, but as Christians, you've never said anything different. We will encounter suffering. But some in this room right now are really under the pressure of suffering. And so the rest of us, we want to help hold them up and strengthen them. God, I pray that the teaching of your word would, would fill them with courage, fill them with hope. And as those of us who are not presently at least walking with a limp, not bearing down in some Give us hearts of compassion to come alongside our brothers and sisters right here, maybe right down the row, maybe right next to us. 
to bear their burden, to lift their burden with them, to carry it with them. But ultimately, Jesus, we want to look to you, Jesus. Be the one that is not just distant from us when we suffer, but you draw near to us. May we have an awareness of how close you are. You suffered so that you could understand suffering in a way that we can trust you. So give all those with their hands out right now comfort and strength and faith. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so let's see, because he's not just going to leave you there. If you are among those who, in the quietness of your own prayer time, had your hands out, um, just know this. Things are not necessarily going to get better. Look, look what he even says to Timothy here. Those evil people, those imposters, they're going to become worse. This isn't just a little season, then it's going to be over. They're going to be, Timothy, it's going to get worse, <laughs> right? So here's the advice that he's going to give. Look at verse, verse 14. But as for you, look at that, right? Yep, evil people, they're still out there. Imposters, yep. But as for you, Timothy, Continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. Look at this phrase. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy they've been teaching you. You have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here is my advice. Actually, Paul's advice to you if you are suffering. Find the people around you who are closely following Christ and stick close to them. You guys, find the people that, that you know are Christ followers, like the real kind of Christ followers, and stick close to them. I, I love that. He says, Timothy, you know these people. You have been following them. And every time, he's saying, from infancy, those people have been pointing you back to the Bible. That's what they do, because that's where they're going all the time. That's why they're still standing so get close to them because what they're going to do is they're going to help you. They're going to feed you Bible. They're going to strengthen you with Bible. Guys, here's the thing. Everybody leaves awake, right? Everybody leaves awake behind us. What happens when, when our life passes and what's going on behind us? Because look, the people who are not followers of Christ... We got them described for us. You know, Ryan had this happy text. These people, verse 2, lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient parents. What happens when you follow those kind of people? What's left in the wake of their lives? Destruction, chaos, divisiveness, mean-spiritedness, right? What happens when you follow in the wake of people who are truly following Christ? I'll tell you what. <laughs> Faithfulness. And people that are pointing you to Christ, you know those who taught you, find those people, look at the wake that they are leaving behind and attach yourself, kind of draft in the wake of those who are truly following Christ. They will always point you to the scriptures, which leads us then to the last couple of verses. Look at verse 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
Okay, I want us to read this out loud together. These are really important verses, okay? They're all important, but let's do this together. I really want you to get this. Say it with me. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that? Just this last week, we were talking about this at staff meeting. Caleb, the guy that does pounding the daylights out of these drums over here. Um, he, he was talking about this word inspired. The word inspired means God breathed. God breathed. And he said, man, that, that just reminds me of Genesis chapter 2 when, when it, it describes God creating mankind. How does he bring us to life? He breathes life into Adam. He breathes. And so now that same idea of breathe, he has breathed his life into the scriptures. And so when we attach ourselves to the scripture. It's like God is breathing life into us. That's why we've got to sit close to the scriptures and close to the people who are going to point us to the scriptures. It's because they're they're life-giving. And you know what happens? We are taught and sometimes rebuked and sometimes corrected, but also trained in righteousness. You guys, this is the way it goes with parenting. We've got a good, good father who wants to train us in righteousness. So, so one of my granddaughters uh, actually is part of Veritas. Uh, my daughter, Audrey and James, that often leads in worship. Uh, their daughter, Colette. Well, how, how are the, what's the natural inclination of Colette's heart? When she's in my front yard and sees the playground right across the street, what does she do when she encounters that street? She just bolds right through it, right? It she doesn't look for cars because she's too little. She doesn't have it. So what does a good parent do? They correct her. They say, oh, wait, when you come to a, you got to stop. You got to look both ways. Make sure a parent's with you, right? Because they care for her. So sometimes there's correction. Sometimes there's even a rebuke. But it's training to help her, right? When, when she all of a sudden gets a treat, what is the nature of children? Are they get a treat? It's just grab it. So what do good parents do? Actually, you should say thank you, right? You should acknowledge the giver of those good gifts, right? It's, but it's from a loving parent who's trying to help you and encourage you. Guys, we need help in learning what it means to be righteous. It doesn't come naturally, in fact, it goes against the grain, and you know, the only way that we're going to get that kind of training, that kind of correction, it's from the Scripture. I just got to ask you guys, in this last week, don't say it out loud, how much time have you spent in your Bible this last week? How much have you tapped into life that is true? Lit? How much have you been allowing yourself to be transformed, to think the world right side up because of time you've spent in the Bible? Guys, we so desperately need life. We need to be trained in righteousness. And here's what I love, guys. If you're feeling like, man, I, I don't feel complete. I don't feel like I'm equipped for what I'm going through right now. There's really good news for you. It's not time to go on a guilt trip. It's time to look to Jesus because Jesus is like, oh, I know you're incomplete. <laughs> I know you're unprepared for what I'm allowing to come your way, which is why I'm, I'm giving you this gift of my Bible, the gift of truth to help you, but I also know this. The times you blow it, you look to Jesus, and he's not up there just, you know, wagging his accusing finger and just so disappointed. No, you know what he does? He opens his arms wide and says, I love you so much. Yeah, I'm glad you're saying what you're saying about your life because I've seen that too. I love you so much. Just come. I'm here to forgive. I'm here to help you master the restart. 
I'm here not just to lay punishment, condemnation. I'm here to offer you forgiveness and love and life. In fact, the most demonstrable way that Jesus spread his arms open wide for you is on the cross, right? On that cross, it's almost like visually he's saying, this is how much I love you. I am I'm taking your punishment upon myself on the cross. I am welcoming you. I'm inviting you into my life. In fact, so much so that I'm willing to give my life so that you can have life. And so that's why having received the word, we're going to go into a time of communion, guys, because this is our opportunity to remind ourselves that we are receivers of that kind of love, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of grace. This is our moment to be able to say, Jesus, and I, I still, I, I need you daily to help me. I've got to be trained. I've got to be corrected. I've got to be taught. I, I want to live the righteous life that you've died in order to introduce me to. Oh, Hall, I need your help. And this is our opportunity to say, Jesus, I am forever dependent upon you. Breathe that life into me. So I'm going to pray, and then the worship team is going to be here to lead us in some worship and some singing. So what we're going to do, if, especially if you're newer to Veritas, the, the ushers will come and actually dismiss you, and there are, there are different communion tables around the room. They'll, they'll be able to direct you. Uh, if you need gluten-free, even the smaller bowl has the gluten-free bread, and then the larger one not. Uh, let's, let's go to Christ, and then let's worship Him. Will you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, right now I just want to recommit myself, Lord, to following you. And I want to recommit to finding others that are following you and sticking close to them, Lord. Thank you that you allow us to see what this looks like as we watch others who are following you just a few steps ahead of us. We want to follow in those steps because they're going to take us to Jesus. So, Lord, we, we've gotten off track. We've started following the wrong people. We've neglected your word that is so life-giving. Now, Lord, this is your opportunity to bring us back. So will you do that now, Lord? Thank you for your love. Thank you for your pure forgiveness. Thank you for life. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. And we love you. In Christ's name, amen.